0: All right, I want to talk with you this morning uh, about a statement that you hear made a lot of the to- a lot of time. There are several uh, new moral phrases that go around in our society. that have been going around for some years. This has been around a long time. Uh, there are several ways of defining morality that have changed in my lifetime. Morality is not defined any longer. Well, God says this is wrong, so that's wrong, or any other general standard like that more we have like consent whatever two people want to do to each other as long as they consent that's okay uh whatever and as long as the other person consents to it it's not a problem now consent perhaps is part of a moral discussion but i don't think consent forms the basis of of much biblical morality at all you can convince a lot of people, especially young ones, to consent to something that really is wrong or not good at all, and we see this in sexual matters a lot. And that's what's coming. In fact, this is the new—I'm getting ahead of myself—but this is the new um, justification for what's called what are called MAPS. Did you have you heard this acronym? MAPS: Minor Attracted Persons. We used to call them pedophiles or worse, but people who are attracted to minors sexually are called MAPs today in academic and in more liberal circles, and they're simply minor-attracted persons. They, they have a sexual inclination. You have an inclination to have relations with a female or a male, depending on your sex, and the people who are homosexual have inclinations to have sex with people of the same gender, and minor, and minor MAPs have an inclination to have sex with young people, with children. So, and the justification is being made, a lot of that is that young people consent to this, that they can consent, and they do consent to it a lot of the time. That's the justification that's been made in my dealings with these folks, anyway, and academically it's being made by people from the Harvard, the New York Times, publishes articles, things like that about it. The other thing... That really isn't the basis of our sermon this morning altogether, but it's the same kind of thing. What does form moral justification? And so I want to talk with you about this phrase that people use. Well, as long as it doesn't harm anyone, then blank. And so the, the justification for many things today is, well, um, it as long as it doesn't harm anyone, then I should be able to do this, or that's why I do this because it doesn't harm anyone. What does the Bible say about that? Well, uh, there's not a lot about that particularly, but I want to read a verse that I think bears upon it from to begin with in Romans chapter 13. And here in Romans 13, beginning in verse 8, Paul says, "O oh, no no one anything except to love one another. For he who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandment says, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, You shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet. And if there are any other commandment, all are summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. So the Bible does say that love is the fulfillment of the law and love does no harm to a neighbor. What people try to do with this though, and I just kind of thought of this, is they try to replace all those other commandments that he listed, specific things that you should not do by saying, well, I'm not going to harm anyone when I do that. So as long as you can murder without harming anyone, which I suppose is possible, look, you can justify anything that you want to justify. That's why we have people called lawyers to justify Whatever anybody wants. Now, I'm not saying that to just criticize lawyers. I don't mean it that way. But I mean, you, you There's a, you can find a reason for anything. The question is not whether you can come up with a reason for something. The question is whether it's a good reason or a justifiable reason for something. That's the question. Because you, you can name any argument you want and I'll give you an answer to it. Does that mean it's a correct answer or a justifiable answer? No, but it's an answer. Oh, well, he answered that. Well, he didn't answer very well. We don't go there. We just assume, well, there's an answer. And that's true of all kind of doctrines. But these commandments of stealing, what about stealing or bearing false witness? Well, as long as it doesn't hurt anybody, I can be covetous. Whatever other commandment I want, as long as no one is harmed. But the Bible is clear. Love does no harm to a neighbor. So you say you love someone, you better be certain at least, a minimum, that there is no harm being done to this person. Now, these arguments that people make about I should be able to do such and such because it doesn't harm anyone, they make a lot of assumptions about what is harmful, what's not harmful, whether you should perceive something as being harmful, and so forth. And what they don't really do is define what they mean by harm, though. I'm probably getting ahead of myself again, but I'll give you an example that goes along with what I just talked about a moment ago. So I'm, I'm sitting in a mental hospital with a fellow, who's checked himself in there, a member of the church years ago, who has been accused of molesting a lot of different children. Including his daughters, by his daughters, so I went. And when I when I when I confronted when I confronted him about this, he ran to the mental hospital, checked himself into the VA mental hospital. So I went over there, sat down with him, talked about these things. He would run. A, he and his wife had run a daycare for thirty five years in their home, and. What he told me, I I can still see this, I can't tell the whole conversation, but he was very, very earnest about one thing. I never hurt any child. I love children. I never hurt any child, he kept repeating. I love children. It's very difficult to, so what was his justification for doing what he did? Of course, then he denied he did it. So, you know, I, I don't know which one. So which one is it? You Never meant to hurt anybody, or you didn't hurt anybody, or you didn't do it at all. Which I told, pick a response. This is what people do. Uh, Just pick one response. Either I didn't do it at all. I don't know what you're talking about, or I may have done this, but it wasn't to hurt anybody. Which one do you want? Because those aren't compatible. You see that those are not compatible excuses. And he believed this. I, I think in his own mind, however twisted you may think it is. He believed that since he did not physically hurt these children, he didn't kill them, he didn't maim them, he didn't torture them, he didn't physically hurt these children, that he didn't hurt them. So you see the problem with the statement, I can do whatever I want as long as I don't hurt anybody. It takes a little more definition than that to figure out whether hurt. I said, well, you hurt these children extremely badly, more so than if you'd taken a knife to them, cut them. You hurt them, but you can't see that because he couldn't see that, what he had done. But he believed that he didn't hurt anybody, and so therefore, what he had done was wrong. A lot of people, for example, on the other side, they say religion hurts people. They say you shouldn't be religious because religion hurts people. What do you make about that? You think that's true, that uh, on the other side, that if you do hurt somebody, you shouldn't do it. Are we allowed to do anything that hurts anybody else? Well, love works no ill to its neighbor. It doesn't say love never hurts its neighbor because sometimes I might have to do that. You know? Uh, I, I fell off my bike. My brother and I were riding because he was riding, he was driving, riding the bike and I was sitting on the very back uh, holding on in the back trying to get him home, you know? And I fell off the back. You're, you're all shocked, I know, but I fell off the back and, and I rolled over. When I rolled over on I rolled over on this hand right here. And when I tried to get on I got up, all these, all these, these three here were all down in my palm. All those knuckles were down in my palm. They had come dislocated and pulled down in my palm. Not very pleasant, I would just tell you. And my hand was all like this, you know. And I, I started screaming my ass. I told my brother, grab my hand, please, grab my hand quickly grab it. And I, when he grabbed it, he didn't want to do it. I made him grab it. And he, when he did it, I pulled it like that and got him all back in joint. And uh, as you can see, it's just perfect. I never have any problems with it at all. But uh, that was my bad hand, luckily. Did he hurt me? Yes, he hurt me. On purpose. But I told him to because it's the only way I could fix the problem. Sometimes it takes pain to fix a problem. So, yes... Might come a time when somebody has to talk to you about something you've done or what you've done and, and it might hurt you to do that. It might hurt them to do it to you. You might experience pain. Not only physical, but most likely you might experience emotional pain. And so harm is not the deciding factor. Now harm means to injure or damage someone and so you have to decide what it is that the harm is or what's going to happen about this harm. And so I don't think that harming someone will be the deciding factor in whether you did right or wrong. You can't say, since nobody complained about being hurt, what I did was right. Those are two separate issues. Whether you hurt someone by what you did or whether somebody complained about being hurt are two separate issues that need to be discussed. And yet we blend them all together. Together, So harm is very much a fluid concept, and it's much too fluid to be anchored to any notion of right or wrong or good or bad. And that's kind of the way it is. Is there any such thing as universal harmlessness? Is there anything that you can say, this is completely harmless? You serve someone dinner. Well, that sounds harmless, doesn't it? Until they get sick. You know, whatever the case may be. Till they get sick. And then, uh, my, my son brought me a gift the other day. My son Adam brought me a gift he found. He said, I think you'll like this. It's a good gift. It was a bag of dried sardines, like potato chips. one they're sardines. I'm glad to share that with you. He thought I would like that because he knows I like sardines. What's not to like? I haven't tried it yet. <laughs> I, I like to kiss Judy too much. I have to decide what's a good time to do this because I... I'll have to kiss her, but I won't tell her I've done it until it's too. Oh, that's the now. That's exactly what I'm going to do. I'm not going to tell her I've eaten one and go over and kiss her. That's what I'm going to do. Just, just realize this; this will make it even more fun. Who gets to decide? What's harmful? Imagine making this issue about a lot of other issues. As long as it doesn't hurt anyone, it must be moral. And we hear this a lot in our society. Well, what about this? As long as it doesn't hurt anybody, I can steal from the rich. Well, that's a, that's a, a justification meaning giving for looting, isn't it? It's okay to steal from the rich. They've got more than they need because it's not going to hurt anybody. That, does that answer the question of whether it's right or wrong? I'll give you an old illustration I've used for years and you'll know how long it is when I tell you the illustration about this. I've thought of one day. I, I used to read the newspaper all the time, especially on Sundays. I didn't always subscribe. So one day... I went down on Sunday morning to the little convenience store near where we were and, um, and put my, at that time, 50 cents, which was a lot of money, in the machine for the Sunday paper. And it um, fell in front of me. He says, I left it open for you. <laughs> he didn't shut it all the way. He left it open for you. That and I. I, know what to I guess I said thanks. I don't know what I said. He walks off. He'd done me a favor that I can reach in there and take however many papers I wanted to take out of there without paying for it. What should I have done? Well, you think that, the, well, the Sun Sentinel's about out of business now. Do you think they really would miss that one paper? Would it hurt anybody? Would it do any harm? Well, now that's a separate question then is it right for me to take the paper without paying for it, isn't it? Was it right for me to take the paper without paying for it? That that would have been wrong, wouldn't it? Now you can decide how wrong you think it was, but I don't know how to justify saying that stealing their paper without paying for it was right. Or I've walked up to these things before when they were already open, already open. Should I? Do I have freedom to take it just because somebody else made a mistake? Well, I don't think so. I think what's right is right. What's wrong is wrong. Stealing is stealing, whether it's a little or much. In fact, Jesus says he who is faithful in little is faithful in much. Amen. I mean, there's a connection between those, the idea of morality there. But we don't, do we, should we apply that then to the fact that since somebody is rich or richer than we, than we want, than we think we are, that we should be able to steal from them? Uh, uh they won't miss it. Oh, what about this? I, I'm telling this little lie, but the lie is harmless. People used to call them white lies. I think that's probably uh, some kind of racial slur now, but call it a white lie. Um, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm going to get in trouble. Anyway, we can't call it a black lie, that's for sure, so I don't know what you call it. What, do you call it a lie? How about just calling it a lie? That, that works, doesn't it? Because it is a lie, and probably most all of us have told a lie. Yeah, that hat looks nice on you. <laughs> Whatever, you know. You get this illustration. You can use this for all kinds of things. Uh, cheating on an exam is harmless. Doesn't matter. Doesn't hurt. Doesn't hurt the teacher if I cheat on an exam. Didn't hurt my other classmates. Their grade is going to be what it is. Don't, don't hurt anybody for me to cheat on this exam. And though we can justify a lack of integrity, a lot of other things. It, 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 I mean, if it works for one case, it works for a lot of other things. What about fornication? Well, I, I once again, I'll probably get in trouble because fornication is a politically incorrect term. Cohabitation, whatever you want to call it, and uh, whatever other euphemism we put to it. Is that harmless? Well, most people have concluded, since even among Christian couples, cohabitation is somewhere in a range of seventy percent, they must have all concluded that if it's just between the two of us, it doesn't hurt anybody. No one's getting hurt by that. Is anybody hurt when you get pregnant? Your parents, her parents. Brothers, sisters, family members, grandparents, anybody hurt by that? They can be very much hurt. How about the child? Are they hurt? They can be. Oh, well, but we're never going to get caught. We don't get caught and we we don't get pregnant. Okay, well, then how does that justify whether such a thing that Paul says through the Holy Spirit that those who commit this act shall not inherit the kingdom of God? First Corinthians 6. How does that make it right since it doesn't hurt anybody? And the truth is, a lot of people in this audience have committed fornication and no one else knows about it, may never know about it. And I can tell you from what I read in the Bible, that doesn't make it right. And I I believe, since I believe in the providence of God so strongly and how things are connected together, that that does harm people. Number one, it harms you. That's who it harms. It harms the person you say you love. You know the story of—I I didn't have this in my notes, so I don't have the the verse here. But, but uh, the story of Amnon and Tamar. I think it's in First Kings, where this young man half, really is in love with his half sister. David's both, both are David's children. Now it wasn't unlawful for those half-brother and sister to marry, depending if the mother was the one that was a common relative or the father. So they had a common father, but not a common mother. So it would have been permitted for them to marry each other under Hebrew law. But he didn't want to do that. Amnon didn't. He just loved her. So he faked being sick. He faked being sick. And as she came to his bedside, he asked for her to come help him. His wicked friend said, well, you just need to take her. You're the king's son. You can take her if you want to. And so he planned this out, and and when she came to help him, he grabbed her and forced her to have sex with him. She pleaded with him and said, do not do this thing. She said, you will become as one of the fools in Israel. It'll harm you when you do this, even if no one finds out. She said, "And and me, where will I carry my shame? It'll hurt the other person. And second, he said, and then she brings up that God has said this is wrong. So there are three. See, doing wrong involves more than just whether you get caught. It involves more than whether you decide somebody else is going to get hurt or not. It will hurt you to do such a thing. It changes your character. And I can tell you from personal experience, ask me how I know, as they say today, That doing one wrong thing will certainly let your heart justify the next wrong thing. And it never stops there. It always gets worse if we do that. And this is the danger of as long as it doesn't hurt anyone. You know, the Bible talks about this idea of a society where things get destroyed. The foundations of morality end up being destroyed. In Psalm 11.3, if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? We've moved into an area of our culture where the foundations of what is good and bad, what is right and wrong, and what actually does harm other people, it's been lost. And once it's lost, society turn, gets in chaos and everybody ends up being hurt. All And I don't say this to condemn young people. It's funny how, how things are perceived. Young people think they invented the Internet. Let me tell you, young people... You didn't invent the internet. People my age invented the internet. Okay? People my my generation created what you enjoy so much, all your smartphones and all the internet stuff. So don't take credit for that. You might know how to use it better than we do sometimes, but you didn't create that. On the on the other side of the coin, I don't blame you for what you've inherited from my generation and the one after me either. I don't blame you because you've grown up in a world where right and wrong are blurred and you don't often know the difference because you may have never been taught. You can know some of those things on your own and you can certainly know them in the word of God, but you might not have had a good example to see how these things hurt. So you may grow up with the idea that having sex at a young age with people that you aren't married to and throughout your life and whoever you can get to have sex with, somehow you think that's a good thing. You, you may grow up with that idea, but I can tell you, you are hurting yourself. And the foundations of that do not, they never create a stable society. This is what's happening. Why are you living in an unstable society where no one knows their father or mother and all these things are crumbling around you? No one even knows what gender they are. Why? Because a bunch of us old hippies decided we should have free love. That's why. And there were no foundations. They were all destroyed. And here we are. Now we don't even know whether we're male or female or both. And I don't say that to mock people. It's, it's hurtful to see that. It's a shame in more ways than one because the foundations have been destroyed. Proverbs 14 says righteousness exalts a nation, verse 34, but sin is a reproach to any people. Individually or collectively, when we say that sin is somehow good and exalt what's evil, we have a problem. And that's why Isaiah in Isaiah 5 says, woe to those who call evil good. Where are we today? And not just as a nation, it's easy to make broad by people, but where are individuals in this? People that you know, maybe even you. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. Who put darkness for light and light for darkness. Who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes. They don't look for what the Lord says. They look at their own opinions. So since I think it doesn't harm anybody, it must be fine. Woe to men mighty at drinking wine. And woe to men valiant for mixing, intoxicating, drinking. I could go on here in this whole passage, but woe to men who are mighty at drinking wine. Oh, they're mighty men, but what they're mighty at is getting intoxicated in one way or another. That pretty much describes a lot of our culture. It's about intoxication at one side or another. And he says these kind of people, when they become the standard, society is going to be destroyed. Woe to those who call evil good. Paul puts it this way about this whole matter. Do not be deceived. Galatians chapter 6, verse 7 beginning. You know this passage. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows that will he also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the spirit will of the spirit reap everlasting life. Now when we define spirit and flesh there properly, that is the flesh being this desire for man to have his own way, it's that desire in you to do what you want to do and have things your way all the time. That will lead to corruption in your life. That will lead to things getting worse and worse for you as time goes by. And this idea that, that comes off of this, as we're talking about this morning, one of the ideas that flow from this idea that I'm going to do what I want in my life is as long as I'm hurting anybody else, I'm going to do what I want. And pretty soon it's easy to forget the idea of how much you're hurting other people, including yourself, as long as no one is harmed and so forth. But he says, you so should the Spirit, Well, of the Spirit reap everlasting life. When you sow to the Spirit, which means when you put God's will first and you follow the Spirit of God, which means keeping the commandments, Paul, listed and other things. When you do that, then from that flows life. You begin to live everlasting life, a different quality of life that people have. That's very important for them to know. And so, do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. It's easy to be deceived about this thing. Because it is so uh, so easy for us to think that our way is the only right way. Another, another passage that comes to mind in thinking about this is this passage in the book of Genesis. Am I my brother's keeper? As long as it hurt anybody, so what we, What does that mean? As long as it hurt anybody, it's fine. And what it means is you, you need to back away from me and let me do what I want, because what I'm doing is my own business, and it doesn't hurt anybody, doesn't affect you. Okay, maybe it doesn't affect me personally. I think it probably does in some broad way, but even if I were to admit it doesn't affect me personally, am I my brother's keeper? How should I respond when I see a person who is walking down this road of wickedness and self-indulgence? How should I respond to that? Cain was saying, Of course, he was lying about it all, but he was saying, I'm not my brother's keeper. I don't keep up with him. He can fend for himself. Well, the Bible indicates that we are responsible for our brother. You know, I looked up the root word here in Hebrew of keeper. It's interesting. Uh, It means to do something properly, to hedge about put a hedge of thorns around something, to guard something, to protect, to intend to something, to be circumspect about it, to take heed to it, to mark it, to look narrowly, to observe it, to preserve it, to save it. Are you your brother's keeper? you have any obligation? When someone says, well, it doesn't hurt anybody, I'm going to do whatever I want. Do you have any obligation to respond to that? I think the Bible says you do. You need, you need to be, you need to be willing to warn people, even when they're doing something that they say doesn't hurt anybody else. It's just an individual thing. If they're doing what is wrong, you ought to respond to that in the, in the way that leads them in the right path. That doesn't mean you have to go around pointing fingers and yelling at anybody and cursing them or anything like that or, or being rude. But it does mean you need to point out that this is not the right way to walk because you care about that person. It's covered it carries over so far in so much of our own of our society. That's the argument, for example, I mentioned before that's made for same-sex marriage, all the other things. Nobody's being hurt by this. But are they? I think the answer is they are being hurt by this. So let's not ask whether something is harmful or not before we say it's right or wrong, and then let's use our and use our own subjective definitions of harm. Let's ask what's right. You know, when you confront someone about this, for example, when they say that, well, homosexuality is not harmful to anyone else. When you confront them about that try to point it out, what do they tell you then? Well, you just need to go mind your own business. You're you're an evil person. You're judgmental. So they have an answer for it. And what they mean, and and it just shows you, this is just a cover for I'm going to do what I want. And God or you, no one can tell me, to do anything about that. So we need to ask, and I want you to learn to ask us Christians, not what harms somebody else, but what is right to do? What's the right thing to do? And, And answer that from the scripture because that's how you'll find eternal life. So God calls us then to define it, not by our own perspectives, but by the perspective of God himself. And that's why he says there's a day, there was a time in the past when God overlooked man's wickedness but now, Acts sixteen thirty one, he commands all men everywhere to repent, to turn from this kind of thinking. I hope you won't be this kind of person. Uh, what was the invitation song, Joel? Uh, 757, is that what he announced? 767? 767. We're going to sing now, since you can't see it up here as we close our service. I hope you'll think about that and how you justify the things you do. Don't, don't fall prey. To Satan's devices. That it really doesn't matter what you do. And that you can do what you please. Look more to what God says about it. So I thank you for listening today. And if we can pray with you this morning about a sin or a problem, a difficulty. Let God help you and let your brothers and sisters pray with you about that. If this morning you need to be baptized into Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. It's time that you do that. We'll... we'll Take your confession. Philip told the eunuch, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And the eunuch confessed then and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is Son of God. That's the pattern we use, which is the right pattern. You can be baptized into Christ. This morning is a good time to do that. Everything is ready. Are you ready? If you are, come right here to the front. Let's stand and sing.